0: And the rest of you keep your Bibles open to 2nd Peter chapter 2. We're working through the book of 2nd Peter under the title Escaping Corruption. And today's message is recognizing counterfeits. Thank you to Douglas for that picture. Recognizing counterfeits. Let's review quickly. Going back to 2nd Peter chapter 1, we learned that Peter is writing to believers, those who have received Precious faith as precious as his to believe in the promises of God, the great and precious promises which deliver us from the corruption that is in the world caused by what? You remember? Anybody remember? What's corruption caused by? Evil desires. That has to do with today's message too. Those evil desires are in each of us. They're inside of us. Corruption comes out of our old natures. And what delivers us is faith in the great and precious promises of God primarily that he has done it, that he has forgiven us by the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, that we can be new creatures in him, that we will have everlasting life in heaven if we surrender to his saving presence in our souls. And when we do that, we give up our old nature and we become partakers of the divine nature. That's how you escape corruption. Peter wants us to grow in maturity and bear fruit on that saving faith by adding seven elements. What are they? Here we go. Virtue, knowledge, same out loud, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. I'm going to say that until you memorize it. That's what Peter says. He says three times in chapter 1, I'm going to remind you and remind you and remind you so that when I'm gone, that's us, he's gone, you'll still remember. And These things keep you from being ineffective in your knowledge of God, which means you can know God, go to heaven, and not take anything with you, not send anything on to heaven, not have any reward, not bear fruit like he has called you to bear fruit. Woe, is, woe to us, if that's us. So then Peter says it's not a myth. He saw it on the, Transfigur- on the Mount of Transfiguration and that he didn't follow uh, cleverly devised myths, but it's true. That it, uh, it's confirmed by the prophecies of Jesus, which all came true in him. And those prophets were carried along by the Spirit as they spoke from God. So then out of that context, Peter starts with chapter 2 with the word but. But false prophets also arose among the people. Let me just read uh, all uh, the first three verses of second 2 second Peter 2 out of the English Standard Version. So this is another take on the translation. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, Early on, when I came to Brazil, my Brazilian friends taught me, o gringo não tem (laughs) desconfiômetro. Now, for you gringos, that means we, North Americans, have very little distrust in us because we grow up in a society that believes everyone is innocent until proven guilty. Here, it has to be the opposite, unfortunately. You don't trust anyone until they prove themselves trustworthy, right? You learn not to trust a stranger. In fact, not to trust even most of your friends until they've proven themselves trustworthy because we all pintar para o ingles ver. We make it shinier than it is. We paint with whitewash what inside maybe isn't quite as good as it truly looks. How many of you remember the story of the Dalmatian that my neighbors bought? Do you remember that story? I think I've told it in the last year. See, I've been here long enough now where I'm afraid I'm going to start repeating the stories, but this is the one that needs to be repeated over and over. So my neighbors on the mission, mission compound where I grew up uh, got a Dalmatian puppy. Their dad went to the capital city and brought back this beautiful Dalmatian puppy. It looked just like 101 Dalmatians. Little black spots, and it would run around. And every day after school, we'd ask mom, can we go and play with the puppy? And we played with that puppy all week. Well, on Saturday, the dad told the kids to wash the puppy. And all the spots washed off. The dad had been completely duped and bought an old white mutt with a skinny tail that somebody had taken a marker and drawn some black spots on. That's what Peter's talking about here. People who look like the real thing, who sound good, who make you feel good, but they are false, they are wicked, and they are dangerous, destructive heresies he's talking about. When he says, but false prophets arose, also arose among them, he's referring to the Old Testament. So his Jewish listeners, and he himself, I think, probably immediately thought about Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Now in the first service, I said 400 prophets of Baal. Does anybody know how many there really were? Jose Zibart came up afterwards and said, small correction, it was 450. I hope you know your Bible that well. Of course, he has a son named Elijah, and I'm sure he tells the story over and over. <laughs> so it was a 450 false prophets in Israel. This is the king of Israel, and he had 450 prophets of an idol. And of course, the story in First uh, Kings is where uh, Elijah comes and confronts these 450 prophets and says, "If your God is God, He'll send fire. If my God is God, He'll send fire." And we know the end: God sends fire and burns up not just the sacrifice, but the stones and the water and the dust, to show his people that Elijah is the true prophet and that he is a true God. And then, what does Elijah do? It's pretty grisly. If you're going to tell your story, tell this story to your kids. You probably should uh, hold back a little bit, but Elijah himself takes those 450 men and kills them by the brook to get rid of false prophets. But you might remember Micaiah, too, in 1 Kings 22. This is Ahab as well. After his 450 prophets are killed, he and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, want to go to war. So Jehoshaphat says, well, don't you have any, any prophets to tell us what to do? And, and Ahab says, yeah, we've got lots of prophets, and he calls in dozens and dozens. I think it's actually 200 prophets who all say, go. And one makes a pair of horns and says, with these, you're going to gore the enemy. And Jehoshaphat says something very interesting in verse 7 of 1 Kings 22. He says, is there not here another prophet of the Lord whom we may inquire? Jehoshaphat knows the real thing. And he understands in that meeting that these are not real prophets. These are false prophets. He says, isn't there a real prophet of God here? And Ahab says, yeah, there's one, but he always prophesies bad stuff about me, and he makes me feel guilty. And Jehoshaphat says, well, send for him. We want to hear the real word of God, not just make-believe. So they send for Micaiah, right? Who knows where he was? They bring him in. And on the way, the messenger says... The messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, this is verse 13 of 1 Kings chapter 22. I challenge you to read it. It's a great story. Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of one of them. Say what everybody else is saying. Please, just go along with the flow. Don't be contrary. You hear people saying that today? What does Micaiah say? this true prophet of God. Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, what the Lord says to me, that I will speak. And he tells Ahab that he had a vision of Israel scattered on the hills without a shepherd, like flock without a shepherd, which meant you're going to die. You're going to die in this battle. And Ahab gets angry and says, see Jehoshaphat, he always prophesies bad stuff. And he sends Micaiah away to be held captive and he goes to the battle, gets mortally wounded, and dies. Because Micaiah is truly saying, what God has said. False prophets. Peter knows these stories and he knows they came into the the country of Israel and led many astray. Moses uh, quotes the Lord in Deuteronomy 13, 1 to 3. I'll send these references with my notes this week. uh, But listen to what Moses said. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, Now, this is a guy who can do miracles, who can predict something that actually happens. A sign or a wonder is a miracle. He's got power. If it comes to pass, and the prophet says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them. You will not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And then Moses commands them to kill such a prophet who tries to lead them to other gods. So then Peter turns toward us. Just like that. Just as prophets, false prophets came into Israel, false teachers will come in among you. He's predicting this. He's saying it's going to happen. They will come among you. Secretly bringing in destructive heresies. So during its early centuries, the Christian church dealt with many, many heresies. In fact, the the, uh, The meetings of the church, which produced many of the creeds, which we still quote and still remember, were due to many heresies that the church was fighting. Heresies about the Trinity, heresies about the Incarnation. Docetism claimed that Jesus had never actually come as a human body, that he was just a spirit. Uh, Uh, Arianism denied the Trinity, that Jesus was not truly the Son of God. Gnosticism is one that even the New Testament talks about, that it's all in your mind. If you have pure thoughts, that's all that matters. What you do in your body is just temporary, which meant go out and, and eat, drink, and be merry, because it doesn't matter anyway. It's all in your mind. These were heresies, and they were destructive and had to be put down. I read this week about Helen White, one of the founders of Seventh-day Adventists. Now, not all Seventh-day Adventists are heretics. I don't want to be quoted as saying that. But surely this woman who had so many dreams and visions and created such a system of legalism led the people away from the true gospel of grace by faith alone. And she's created a religion to this day, Uh, doesn't believe in the eternal damnation of the damned and practices uh, lists and lists of rules that uh, are some way of being holy aside from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Jehovah's Witnesses, of course, is a cult. It's not a true church. Doesn't believe in the Trinity. Doesn't believe Jesus is God incarnate, that in Him all things hold together as the Bible teaches So we need to be aware of the real thing, the real bill, so that when a counterfeit comes, we can know and recognize that that's counterfeit. Of course, there are many, many modern teachers which I believe are multiplying. There's way more false teaching than true. You can find it uh, multiplying on the internet, of course. I want to challenge all of us to be careful what we listen to, to filter carefully through the Word, and to be aware that this is going to happen. It is happening, and according to Deuteronomy, it's happening because the Lord wants to test us, to see how zealous we are for His glory, for His Word, and for the uniqueness of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as our Savior. Peter says something interesting about these false teachers. He says, even denying the master who bought them. Now, do you think he was thinking about his own denial when he said that? Here's the man who denied Jesus three times. And he says about these teachers, they will even deny the master who bought them. I I think Peter knows the temptation to deny for your own saving of your own skin. But he's calling the church to watch for that denial as... Uh, a way to, to recognize false teachers. So here, as I chewed through this passage, and especially in verses 2 and 3, three ways to recognize co- counterfeits. Three ways to recognize counterfeits. Number one, they followed their sensuality. Now those two they's have two different antecedents. They, the people, follow their, the, the, the false teacher's sensuality many will follow the sensuality or fleshly practices of these false teachers. That word sensuality in Greek means lack of self-restraint, abandonment to immoral behavior. Peter talks about this all through the the chapter. Chapter 2, verse 7 says, Lot was distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. We're going to talk about the story of Sodom and Gomorrah next week. But Lot lived in Sodom every day in pain because of the sensuality all around him. Interestingly enough, his wife didn't feel that pain. In fact, she looked back because she longed to go back to it. His daughters practiced practiced that same sensuality later on in the story of that, that family. Verse 10 of chapter 2 says, I hope you have your Bible open to 2 Peter chapter 2, because verse 10 says, those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Those who follow sensuality as their God, as their direction. And then verse 18, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. So Peter still sees these as sheep in the flock who are following their noses after false teachers who are asking them to follow their sensual desires and pleasures. One time I took a a tape recording, this was back in the days of the cassette tape, uh, of a, a particular worship leader that I really was moved by, that I loved. Uh, He would lead me into the presence of God in a way that others didn't. I found myself weeping and repenting, and it was just beautiful. The music he played, he would pray and sing at the piano as he led us into God's presence. It was just gorgeous. Well, one of of our supporting churches uh, was a traditional church that believed only the King James Version was truly the Word of God, uh, and they sang hymns. Nothing wrong with hymns. But it was only hymns, and it was usually with an organ or a piano. Uh, And I wanted this other worship leader at the traditional church to experience what I was experiencing with this this guy in the other church. So I took him the tape and said, hey, listen to this. Maybe you could add some of these songs to your worship repertoire. He took it and brought it back, I don't know, a week or two later, and handed it to me, and I said, what do you think? He said, well, he's a good musician, but I think that's the music of sex. I was shocked. How could this worship leader condemn this other man? And, and, and I had not seen that at all in this music. Do you know that just a few months later, the worship leader that I got the tape from fell into adultery with one of the wives of the elders of that church. He was found in bed with this woman by his teenage son because he had convinced that woman that it was their destiny to be together and that it pleased God. That's following sensuality. And I immediately remembered what that other guy said. That stodgy guy had said, this is the music of sex. And I said, whoa. He saw something that I did not see. Now, I'm not judging the music, but I'm looking at the fruit. And as I read this passage, I thought, that's what that was. Following sensuality. And brothers and sisters, just the fact that you weep in a service or feel a chill bump on your arms doesn't mean necessarily that the music is true or that the Spirit is doing it. The devil comes to church. He has long fingernails and they can rub right up your spine and give you heebie-jeebies in your hairline. Remember the parable of the sower? the the, the seed sown along the path and the birds come and eat it who are the birds? the demons who take the word right out of the heart before it can sink in they are here trying to lead us astray and keep us from following the truth they want people to teach us stuff that makes us feel good like Ahab we don't call those who convict us of our sin we call those who make us feel good and tell us we can do whatever we want and that's following sensuality woe to Calvary if that's where we're going, and I don't believe it is. The second way that Peter says we can recognize these false teachers is greed. That's verse 3. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. This is bargaining to get more than you put in. So they teach, they give, they're magnanimous, they look great. But their whole motivation is to get more out than they put in. Because they desire to get rich. They love money. Greed. Verse 14 of chapter 2 says, They have hearts trained in greed. Trained in greed. Trained not to look greedy. Trained to look righteous. But in the back, the motivation is, Get more than you give. Become rich. Their desires to be rich. A friend of mine at college was going to lunch one day and he was late because he had class. And he bumped into a man in a suit going into the cafeteria at the same time he was. He wasn't aware of it, but there was a pastor's conference on campus that weekend, that week. And the man grabbed his shoulder as he bumped past him and said, Young man, do you know who I am? The man looked him in the face and said, no. He said, I'm pastor so-and-so of church such-and-such, and and we have 10,000 members, and you just bumped into me and didn't open the door for me. Who do you think you are? And he told the guy his name and ran in and had lunch, and then later told me, he says, I don't care who that man is, and I don't plan to go to his church because he's proud, he's greedy, he thinks he should be first just because he has 10,000 members going to his church. I don't know who the man is. I'm glad I don't. But false teachers and false Christians are motivated by self-aggrandizement and fleshly greed. Gaining more than they give. In Luke 16, 15, Jesus speaking to the disciples that it says, loved money, says what is highly valued among people is detestable in God's sight. Maybe we should all write that on our work office walls. What is highly valued among people is detestable in God's sight. And then he goes on to say, you cannot serve God and money. Watch out for greed in your own heart. We're going to talk about that at the application. And then finally, The third way to recognize false teachers is false words or lies. The devil is the father of lies and the father of liars. Jesus calls them your sons of the devil because of your deception. This is why we read Psalm 120 this morning because it talks about deception in their mouths. The war of lies is raging in the air all around us. Just turn on your TV or your internet and you'll see it. Lies and lies and lies and exaggeration and stretching and deception. All for the purpose of sensuality and greed. Deuteronomy 18. Again, Moses referring to false prophets. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, that's the Lord's name, that I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. If you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? When a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. And the prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. And I would say in the church age, that prophet speaks a word that is not according with this truth. This is your filter. Of false words. If it doesn't coincide, if it doesn't agree with what Scripture says, I don't care how much, how good it makes you feel, I don't even care how many miracles the person does, how wealthy he is and successful, this is our filter. If it doesn't ring true with the, with the, with the Scripture, then you do not need to be afraid of him and you should not listen to her or him. Peter's teaching the church. To remember true prophets who foretold Christ and were confirmed. He even says, by the precious promises, we escape corruption and have the divine nature in us. By focusing on the true promises, the true prophecies, and how Christ is fulfilling them all the way through, through history. But then he's saying also, like Paul says in Ephesians 4.15, we grow in him by speaking the truth in love. That's exactly the opposite of the false teachers. Instead of false words, we speak the truth. Instead of sensuality, we focus on the good of others at our own cost instead of greed. Isaiah 53 is a passage that we're decorate, uh, decorating, memorizing as a family. We're decorating it by our memorization at home during Lent. And a phrase there has stuck out to me, and it has everything to do with this, that There was no deception found in his mouth. Jesus didn't deceive anybody. Everything he said was exactly the way it is. In fact, as he says it, it comes to be. He says, let there be light, and there is light. He says, be a new creature, and you are a new creature. He speaks the truth always, and nothing but the truth. Let's be like him. Well, there are three results of these counterfeits in 2 Peter chapter 2. The first is right there in verse 1. The destruction of the church. These are destructive heresies. Sensuality destroys the church. That friend of mine, and praise God, his marriage was saved. The worship leader's marriage is still uh, intact today. He's a believer. I believe he's going to heaven. But he has not been in ministry since that happened, and rightly so destroyed his ministry, destroyed much of the good that he had already done because he followed sensuality. The second result of counterfeits is the blasphemy of the way of truth. This is in verse 2. The way of truth is blasphemed by false teaching, false words. I don't know if you've noticed, but to say you're an evangelico in Brazil now means you're connected with some prosperity TV preacher and you've got rock salt behind your door to keep it safe. You can't say that anymore. So I say I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm a believer in the Word of God. The way is blasphemed by false teachers who exaggerate the truth and follow their sensuality. And then finally, the destruction of the very teacher that is teaching these things. He says their destruction is swift In verse 1 and in verse 3, it's not idle. It's not asleep. It's coming. Destruction is coming. We're going to talk about that next week in the stories of Sodom and Gomorrah, the devil going to hell, and uh, Noah and his family being saved from the flood. God is a just and holy God and does not secure the destruction of the wicked. How do we interpret this? Let's bring it home a little bit. There are many, many false teachers in our time. We need people, all of us, but especially theologians, I think, to, as J.I. Packer says in in a book called A Quest for Godliness, The Puritan Vision of the Christian Life, he says, theologians are called to be the church's water engineers and sewage officers. That's a great picture. The, 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 the sabespi worker of the church is the theologian. What does he do? It's their job to see God's pure truth flow abundantly where it is needed and to filter out any intrusive pollution that might damage our health. I know we have some theologians at Calvary. I'm not a trained theologian, but I know there are some. Not everybody is called to that calling, but we need to listen. But guys who have studied deeply and know some of these heresies and keep us from going astray. Destructive heresies. What are some of those from our day? Here, I wrote down just a few. Here's one. God wants all of his children to be rich and comfortable in this world. It's being taught. It's being believed. Sometimes it's believed in my own heart because I have something hard happen and I think, Where's God? How come he let this hard thing happen to me? Don't I please him doesn't he love me isn't he powerful right The truth is 2 Corinthians 8:9 For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich And then in Luke 12:33 he says sell your possessions Give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. In the kingdom, to give is more blessed than to receive. Greed has no place as grace takes over and makes us generous instead of greedy. There's a heresy in the world that says if you die of cancer, you didn't have enough faith that God could heal you. I heard that preached from a pulpit just after my mom died of cancer in 1997 a faithful wife and mother a missionary most of her adult life and she passed away of ovarian cancer and this guy's saying that it's because she didn't have enough faith what's the truth Romans 8:28 in all things God works for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose which is to be more like Jesus Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:3 share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ And Paul's thorn in the flesh, most studious people believe, was some form of fleshly ailment that God had given him to keep him humble. Probably his eyes, because in Galatians he says, you would have given me your eyes. Another heresy, everyone will be saved in the end. This is universalism. The truth is that only those who persevere in faith until the end in Christ's sufficient sacrifice for sin will be saved. The heresy of hell. Hell isn't a real place. The wicked will just be destroyed. The truth is that Jesus speaks about hell more than anyone else. Listen to what Leslie Schumacher of uh, Gospel Coalition wrote in an article a couple of years ago. Jesus doesn't only refer reference hell. He describes it in great detail. He says it is a place of eternal torment, of unquenchable fire, where the worm does not die, where people will gnash their teeth in anguish and regret, and from which there is no return, even to warn loved ones. He calls hell a place of outer darkness, comparing it to Gehenna, which was a trash dump outside the walls of Jerusalem where rubbish was burned and maggots abounded. Jesus talks about hell more than he talks about heaven and describes it more vividly. There's no denying that Jesus knew, believed, and warned about the absolute reality of hell. If I don't believe in hell, I will not evangelize my neighbor as fervently as I should. Because I don't really believe he's going to hell without Jesus. But there's a heresy around that's more pernicious and present than any of these. And it's very simple. I am God. My autonomy, my desire, my rights are above all else. And we come to the very point of saying, not my will be done, my kingdom come, and my joy and happiness are my strength. Instead of the joy of the Lord is my strength. Not my will, but thine be done. We all fight that heresy. But let's bring the rubber to meet the road. How do we apply these things? What should we do? How should we live? Number one, false teachers are here. Be alert. Don't just swallow anything. Don't listen to just anyone. Wake up and think clearly about what people are telling you, about why you like to listen to certain speakers and teachers so much, or maybe even worship music. Be on the alert. They are here. Number two, study the truth. I once handed a 50 year bill to a cashier. She handed it right back to me. She said, this isn't money. I said, how do you know? She says, I feel real money all day, and this is not money. It doesn't feel like the money that I get all day long. I said, well, show me. She says, okay, so look in the light, and here's the little thing it's supposed to have. She showed me. She proved it to me, but she said, because I've received 50 hal bills all day long, and I know how they feel, as soon as I get one that's not, it's easy. See, brothers and sisters, if you know the truth... The truth will set you free from the false teachers. As soon as they open their mouths, you'll say, "Uh uh-uh. It's not what the Word teaches. It's not sensuality. It's not greed. Those are false words. By the way, have you noticed that sensuality may be the sin of the left and greed may be the sin of the right? I don't know. We could do a study about that. God wants to keep you safe from false teachers and the way to do that is to know the truth inside and out. Study it, memorize it, meditate on it. Hold it close to your heart and it will set you free from the traps of false teachers. And then number three, don't be a false teacher. Parents, if you are more happy about a raise in your salary than you are about the presence of the Lord in your house, you are teaching your children to follow greed. Because they see what gives you real joy. If you allow sensual movies to be played on a movie night and don't stand up and say something about it, you're following the sensuality that's all around us in the world. I'm not saying no, we will not follow that in our house. If you're not teaching them to read the word and memorize scripture, watch out because you're not teaching them the truth as you should. In fact, we're all teaching ourselves all the time. I began to think about self-control being the opposite of sensuality. Do I say no to my own sensual, fleshly thoughts and instincts? Have I developed self-control in the spirit, not following the sensuality that's in the world and even in me? Generosity is the opposite of greed. Growing in generosity counteracts that force of, you know, ask yourself why you come to Calvary. Do you come to get more than you come to give? Is that a greedy motivation? I mean, not if you're at the feet of Jesus and he's pouring out his blessing on you. He's the source of all blessing. But we should come to lay our lives on the altar before him, and to serve one another in his name. And then finally, speak the truth in love in opposition to these false words. The devil is trying to destroy God's flock. Peter and all good pastors keep that flock safe from false teachers. When I was in high school, I acted in a play called Tartuffe. The story is about a traveling preacher who convince a very, convinces a very rich man that he's the real thing. In fact, he asks if he can come stay in his house, and at first he stays in the guest room, but pretty soon the, the owner of the house is so enamored by this man's wise words and beautiful sayings that he brings him right into the inner sanctum of the house, gives him his own bedroom. He and his wife move into the guest room, and he ends up signing the deed of his house over to Tartuffe, this evil preacher. Well, by the end of the play, everybody in the household knows what is happening. They know this guy, they know this guy is a wolf in sheep's clothing, but they can't convince their father-slash-husband that, that he's been completely duped. So the wife finally decides how she's going to do it, and she says, well, you hide under the table with a long tablecloth and l- listen to what he says to me when he comes in in a few minutes. And so there we are. That's me hiding behind Virginia, who was playing my wife, And that's Tartuffe, who ended up being my college roommate, Scott Branks. And as he's coming to embrace her with adulterous sensuality, she ducks out of the way. I stand up out from under the table and end up with him in my arms. And it's the funniest scene you can imagine at the end of this long play. And finally, I realize, well, what's this guy doing? And I've been completely fooled. That play taught me the dangers of being deceived. And I hope it gives me a higher antenna to listen for sensuality, for false words, and for greed. Are you able to recognize counterfeits? Instead of following your own sensuality, grow in self-control. Instead of greed, become more generous. Add that to the list of virtues that you are adding to your faith. We know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ became poor so we could be rich and calls us to follow him and then finally instead of speaking or listening to false words read memorize meditate on scripture every day close your eyes with me and as we prepare for communion i would like you to go through these three characteristics of false teachers and confess whatever part you've had in following them sensuality greed and false words or lying Ask the Spirit to shine a light on anything you've done or anything you've listened to that has led you in a false way. Confess your sin. Ask for mercy. Plead with the Holy Spirit to illuminate the truth and lead you in the way everlasting. Maybe you're here this morning and you've never surrendered your life completely to the saving grace in Jesus Christ. You can do that right now, right there with your eyes bowed and your, or your head bowed and your eyes closed. You can say to the almighty God, I am lost without you. I am a sinner following sensuality and greed and lies. I surrender. Forgive me. Be my Lord. Be my Savior. Come in. Rule my life from this moment on. Just a simple prayer. A step of faith. The Bible says, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and people looked to that serpent and were saved, so the Son of Man is lifted up and whoever looks in faith will be saved. Father, bless the decisions being made in this room right now By your sealing spirit as the covering of soil on the seed, that it might not be stolen by the devil and his demons, that it might not be drowned by weeds of preoccupation of the world's desires, or blocked by rocks of hardness and bitterness. Grow among us in the truth, that your word might multiply and we might know your. Great grace in us and between us. Thank you for your word. Thank you that it doesn't return without doing the work for which you sent it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.